You're listening to Your Rivers Are Wrong, the podcast. My name is Merle. I'm here with my good friend Dante, and we're here to build worlds and tell their stories. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, or midnight, or twilight, whenever you may be. <laughs> wow. Welcome back to the Your Rivers Are Wrong podcast. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dante. And I'm the other one. My name is Merda. And we're here, as we are every week, to talk about the wonderful whimsies of world building, the arts and aesthetics of setting up a setting and telling stories born from it. Mm-hmm. Episode 18, we're moving on forward. 18? Wah! That's a lot of, that's a lot. It is is a lot. Yeah. This is like the thing where you, when you're like 16 and you really look up to people that are like 18 years of age and then you are, you are 18 and you're like, oh, it's just, just, no, I guess I'm here now. And then it's just super like mundane. That's, that's what this is. (laughs) I'm thinking we got to enjoy this now because eventually we're going to be like, welcome to episode 76. And it's just like, it doesn't have the same (laughs) ring to it right now. There's no impact. Yeah. 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 Our podcast is reaching adulthood. So I'm going to transition into uh, mm-hmm, a college, mm-hmm. you know, uh, graduate, find a job eventually in the, in the coming weeks, you know, they'll yep. age and mature. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> wonderful things like that. <laughs> How you been? How's your week? What's life well, like across the pond? Pretty good. Pretty good. I finished my holiday. So I went back to work this this Monday. <laughs> right. So that was a bit of an adjustment. But, you know, work is also also nice. So it's it's. Mm-hmm. I feel like you enjoy your holiday more when you know that it doesn't last forever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's true. Right? Yeah. yeah. I've gotten into the habit of taking like two days off, three days off. Oh, yeah. Because if your work week is like two days long, it doesn't really feel like a work week. Mm. It kind of feels like a break yeah. from your break, you know? <laughs> Uh-huh. And you save vacation days and you can spend them elsewhere yeah. for long trips and stuff like that's that. That's super true. You know? Yeah. And I feel like if your holiday is short, then you got to like live it up. You know, you got to like be efficient in how (laughs) much you enjoy each day, (laughs) which is also yeah. because then you have a lot of good dates after each other because you only have so many. So that's pretty good. But now I'm back in the regular rhythm, (laughs) which is also fine. And uh, things are starting up again. And um, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, I totally agree. And we've had like some super summery days here. So summery, like summer-like days. <laughs> that's summery. Also oh, yeah. Got it, I was got like, it, got hmm, it. that's another word, <laughs> which is super nice. So that was perfect, perfect timing for us. May's been kind of cold. I don't know. Oh, really? Maybe it's just yeah. Hmm. Like the last couple of days have been very breezy. A little bit more rain than we're used to, but you know, oh, okay. not bad. Not the worst. I think the allergies are really killing me. This year is brutal. Oh, Gosh. is it? Oh, that sucks. Yeah, like I wake up with allergies and then it's just like, <laughs> I'm not even outside yet. Oh, shit. That's awful. Yeah. I thought it was a thing where you like had to go outside and then it got like super worse and then you're inside and everything's fine. But now it's that um, bad that that's not even no, rela- not really. like relevant anymore. <laughs> not really. I think it just oh, hangs damn. on your clothes and just gets everywhere. Oh, yeah. maybe. Sucks. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Spring. <laughs> Don't we? Yeah, it? of course, of course. Update on what we talked about last week, and hopefully we don't have to talk. I don't have to bring it up uh, every day in the coming months. My plane ticket to Europe has officially been booked. Yeah, so we got that in the works. Uh, in a couple of months, I'm going to be traveling to Europe for the first time, which is very exciting. Oh, so good. I'm yeah. so stoked. 
It's going to be very and fun. Absolutely. And we're manifesting it right now, mm-hmm. speaking it into existence. Yes. There is going to be one episode of this podcast recorded entirely in the Netherlands. I mean, we have to. Like, we can't not do that when I you're feel like here, that's a when given. you're physically here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Imagine. Yeah. I, I was thinking the weekends that I'm there. Uh-huh. If we play D and D, and I'm am I just gonna be like in another city in the Netherlands? Oh, that's D&D. that's that might be. Hold on, is that how that's gonna work? That's gonna be so confusing. Listen, I got two weekends, and we might just you know put yeah, it off fair. for two weeks. I but, mean, you know, we took off. <laughs> if you have like energy to spare for like a five hour D and D session, because. You know, holidays yeah, are we'll tiring. Goes. <laughs> yeah, let lie. me let me figure out how jet lag goes first yeah, yeah, yeah. and foremost. Might and then be we'll relevant. Yeah. Out <laughs> with that, I mean, we could just jump into our topics. Sure. Uh, as always, we start off with two topics. You bring one, I bring one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know what each other's topics are, and we're delighted to figure out what they are. So I believe you're starting us off this week. Sure. Right? That is, Let's I go. have no idea, but apparently I am. Perfect. Cool. Actually, it's a, it's a good bridge because talking about traveling, I brought the topic of today as the topic of like nomads and traveling around instead of like settling down Ooh. somewhere which i think is pretty interesting because it touches on a lot of things like it's both a cultural thing but it's also a sort of practical thing and maybe if we're talking about D anyway like the sort of classic D adventure usually is a sort of nomadic traveling back and forth into different places and you just stay in inns and taverns and hotels all the time and there's not really like a thing of settling down at all. There's just sort of right. hopping from one place to another place. And there's, you know, wildly different games everywhere. But this is the sort of classic idea that I immediately get into my head when I think about the way that travel works in D&D, right? And I think that's maybe a good starting off point. There's a lot of connotations that are attached or linked to nomadic cultures, nomadic people. Of course, also in our own history, you know, like there's the Romani people or the gypsies, um, aboriginals, all, all stuff like that, that really at some point when industry, I guess, started to happen and cities started to form, they sort of fell between things or uh, some are still active. You know, there's, there's a lot of um, talk about like the terrain that you can occupy or right. possess, maybe even. And at some point, you know, if you are a roaming people, uh, that's not really relevant, but it can get you into trouble if other people claim their own space, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of and course. then who's at fault there, right? It's, this, is, this is a classic example, but um, I think there's a lot to this, uh, to this one. Maybe, maybe just share your, your first thoughts on this topic. Yeah, I think specifically for nomad, I think it's important to make distinct whether the nomad is an individual if this is like a personal choice, whether it be like due to exile or due to curiosity, you know, traveling from place to place, or if this nomadic situation is more of a community, you know, a right. traveling group of people. Uh, is it like a family? Is it somebody who was um, dislocated, not dislocated, who was um, displaced from <laughs> their... <sounds> bad. <laughs> dislocated, who were displaced from their home? Uh, is this just how they uh, survive, gathering food and supplies as they travel? You know, things like that. So I guess in the concept of, I guess in the sphere of world building, uh, we have to ask ourselves, so what is the purpose of nomading? Like what is, what is the goal trying to be achieved by the people who are um, going from place to place? Hmm. Like, is it survival? Is it necessity or is it due to choice? You know, I know 
obviously we can always type into the tried and true avatar as <laughs> right, people right. are they're forced to go from place to place um, due to persecution, due to being chased down or hunted or cha- or looking for something mm. in particular. Yeah. The air nomads in particular were, sequest- were sequestered into these secluded air temples far away from most civilizations so they could live like a life of peace yeah. away from the pressures of an advancing society. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at like roving communities, you could look to like our own cultures. You could look towards the East Asian nomads who cross uh, large expanses for food and supplies, like chasing herds Mm. of animals and stuff like that. I find a very interesting aspect of this, the question related to whether it's in our nature or something, because it feels very logical that at some point mankind started to settle down or there's, I mean, at least that's how we got it in our, you know, primary school history books. You know, you have these right. different periods of time where you're like, okay, first it's foraging and hunting. And then people started to, you know, how do you say that? Like create or Develop. obtain a game and like animals, cattle and stuff. And then they needed a place to stay and then they build and then more people came and then cities, blah, blah, blah. You know, this sort of quote unquote natural timeline. Right. But there's a lot of cultures that I feel like didn't really follow that timeline or are still were at least much later in, you know, when the settlement started to happen or just weren't settling because other people drove them out. And I wonder how that relates to whether it's a logical choice to either settle or not settle. I think the bottom line when it comes to nomadic communities is safety, right? Where you're stopping, where you're resting, is it safe? Is it um, Mm -hmm. sustainable? Is this somewhere you can live for a very long time? Or is there kind of a time limit or like an hourglass flipped before you have to move? And that could be like the the creatures that live there. It could be the climate. It could be the weather. I think, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know, actually. I, this is basically what I think I learned from school. We can speculate. I can't yeah, confirm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um, that the development of agriculture was the reason that many people were able to stop traveling. I think um, so. The yeah, fact you that become they more generate their own food. Right. Yeah. yeah. They sustain their own crops, they grow their own food, they no longer need to hunt as much as they used to. Mm -hmm. And from that, if you're able to maintain these lands and stay safe, like you're not being attacked from other civilizations or tribes or things like that, Mm -hmm. uh, you reach an era of peace, then that allows you to no longer be nomadic and kind of pursue a more settled down lifestyle, you know, separate houses and buildings and all that sort. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think from settling down, also a, a very big sense of hominess. Or the fact that you create a home for yourself is a thing that, well, I mean, I guess the term or the idea of having a home or having a a sort of thing to fall back on is also present in Roman cultures, of course, but it looks different. There's not like a physical place that you, in your brain, kind of link to the idea of safety and familiarity and stuff like that. And I think once houses or farms or stuff like that started to emerge or became the norm instead of the roaming Mm -hmm. around... Then suddenly that that's a physical thing. A home is then a physical thing that you have and that you have to protect and that other people can't, you know, attack because then you lose that. Right. And I exactly. think that's a very different approach to sort of living in a group or living in general, like living with people. Or the way that you, you know, I think if you if you would attack a speculative roaming group of people or a roaming culture, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're fine. They're just going to go somewhere else and they'll be like, OK, cool. Well, I guess I guess we're not welcome here anymore. Let's just go somewhere else and find another place to stay. But if right. you do that to like a literal city or like a small village or a farmer or two that are in in some place abandoned, you lose a lot of your like wealth because you attach that idea to the familiarity and stuff and then they are not used to roaming or you know moving about 
that's a very if it would be the same attack right the results and the the mindset that you're talking about is super different and i think that's so fascinating right uh though i think the advantage that they have of a settled down community is that they're able they have time and resources to set up defenses right to establish a sort of guard mm, to put up fence work yeah. and barricades and things like that when if you're attacking like a nomadic group and obviously they always have the choice to pack up and leave that's a given mm. um but if you have uh, a settled down community then you have the advantage of say population you have a lot of people there you have these constructs that have uh, been made specifically for protection so while you do have much more to lose if you have an established community that is settled down um there are like small advantages for it uh, a lot of the earliest civilizations we have in our history establish themselves towards uh, positions of bounty is what I'm looking for. So next to rivers, behind oh, yeah. uh, right. next to next to lush forests, behind mountains, places that are not only relatively defensible from one point or another, but also quick to harvest, which is very convenient in mm-hmm. <laughs> you know being able to settle down. No, yeah. <laughs> um, so you kind of use your resources to your advantage. You try to plan uh, your building and your construction around uh, a place that can easily be protected, which is the goal. Like yeah. it's, it's ensuring safety, you know? Yeah, there's like a whole different concept of like permanence to it. Mm-hmm. This is a bit of a tangent, but <laughs> I was looking Go at a lot it. of like YouTube videos on like tiny house and like eco <laughs> nice. living and stuff. Mm-hmm. Me and my roommate would almost do a like house visit this week, but then eventually it didn't oh. happen. So I got like super into the into the house house searching <laughs> mode for like one second. <laughs> so then I, I ended good, up at all good. these like tiny ass videos, right? <laughs> you see how my brain works. <laughs> of course, of course. One of them was like, yeah, we really wanted to have like super pretty Moroccan tiles in the in our tiny bathroom, but then the <laughs> thing would be like super heavy, so we wouldn't be able to move it. So eventually, we just didn't. And I was like, oh right, like everything that you decide to be permanent shouldn't really be because everything mm-hmm. is like made for temporary use or for like um, flexibility like they talk about furniture having like at least three uses otherwise it's not worth your time right <laughs> and it's so <laughs> fascinating to me like that's not at all how housing what sort of the the deal is when you want to have a house you want to have a sort yeah, of, of i mean classically right you want to have a sort of permanent place right exactly what you're saying like you're looking at a place that will sustain you for a very long time like you need a place that you can protect so it can be sustained for a long time and this whole idea of a like like flexible moving non-permanent house is like super funny and interesting to me yeah <laughs> to bring it like into the modern era people who live out of these uh these trailers who like mobile cars oh yeah uh, it's the same thing th- they have to very much consider what they have available in their ride and what they have to find like on the road so that is parking yeah. spots places that they're legally allowed to park which could be like um, parking lots to supermarkets or mm. all the way out in the wild uh-huh. they have to plan for like where they can wash up you know not every house not every car has a shower inside like they have a they have like a shower head that they can attach to their car and mm-hmm. you know, uh, they have to refill that tank with water you know yeah uh, where they're finding food where they're um resting like thing it there's a lot of like little things that you don't really consider when you actually live in like an apartment or a house or something like that. yeah for sure because you because like you said you have to care about weight you have to care about room things like that like you have to make sure it's a sustainable place to just live as a human being <laughs> so you're not cramped or stuffed or anything like that yeah yeah for sure exactly there's a lot to be 
set for like these alternative ways of living. And I think it's so fascinating Mm -hmm. to look at people that are actually doing it and have like all the hardships and the advantages of it. But I think maybe to tie it back a little bit to the D&D thing where we actually started, I wonder what it does to the mentality of a character or to a person that's living a nomadic lifestyle. Right. Aside from the fact that there's a different way of thinking about permanence or, you know, temporariness, if you want to look at the other side of it. Mm-hmm. But just in a D&D party, like almost every D&D party or every, you know, main characters of a book that it's every avatar gang <laughs> <laughs> has this lifestyle in a way. And a lot of adventure books have. And I wonder if you thought about what that might do to a character's mentality. I think one of the most interesting things about um, being forced to travel and go to different places is watching how every character handles it. There are, especially in D&D parties, there's always at least one player who is very used to this, you know, living outside. They have their whole bag prepared for, um, you know, finding a spot to rest, setting up a campfire, setting up a watch. They have their own bag and tent and all that. And there's always a character who's like very much out of their comfort zone, (laughs) right? They still wear clothes that do not survive in the wilderness. Yeah, deserted prints. They're (laughs) they're looking for their silver spoon and their utensils (laughs) and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So watching that dynamic of like, oh, you're to- you're totally a fish out of water. Let me like help you. Let me <laughs> help you figure that out. And the development of the character in being more comfortable in situations where they feel entirely displaced, you know, like that's that's an opportunity for growth. And that's an opportunity for conversation. Yeah, for sure. Discussing it with other people like um, you got to get over like, you know, the classic spoiled rich kid in the forest <laughs> is always <laughs> fun to watch for the first couple episodes for sure. yeah. until they really get their bearings, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think it also allows for a lot of different kind of people interaction if you are a roaming right. character to to stay to the I guess prince example they're like super mm-hmm. good in like one kind of social interaction right which is like the posh or the you know regal kind of interaction but I guess if you're on the road you have to right. deal with lots right, right, of right. different kinds of people and you know ways of living or people that have different opinions or values than you and that might of also course. change the way you care less or more about things that you otherwise would just take for granted, I think. No, absolutely. It's um, one of the biggest boons of a traveling party, which is, a, you know, the tried and true staple of a lot of these uh, sort of fantasy uh-huh, stories, yes. is it's an opportunity for the narrator or the storyteller to introduce their world. You know, mm-hmm. like the whole map finally gets to be traversed. You get to see how culture has shaped itself. That's very true, And all the little pockets of the world. It's a fantastic way to introduce plot lines, locations, factions, like organizations, mythical landmarks, things like that. Get, giving the character an excuse to leave the comforts of their home and explore the world for all of its splendor is, you know, just a staple to a proper adventure. That's actually very true. For some reason, I did not think about that at all, even though it's so logical, like it's the sort of basic of how like roaming around works. But it's it's such a perfect way to sort of introduce your world and to allow world building to be naturally part of interaction and character building. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I think kind of, to I guess, put a cap on this topic. There is... I think an innate wonder in all of us, you know, to to explore the world, to see everything that it offers, to kind of step away from, I don't want to say shackles, that's too, that's too strong. Uh, <laughs> the shackles the, of the, settlement. The, the, the shackles of society, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> let yourself like be out of your comfort zone and truly like see how the world is much more expansive than what's right outside your door uh, on your commute from your home <laughs> to your work. Yeah. 
you know? Yeah, exactly. And in that, uh, while nomadism is a real, a trident, is a real true thing that has existed for a very long time, mm-hmm. it still, even today, carries a sort of mysticism and wonder and kind of a delight behind it. When you get to see somebody constantly uh, struggle against the elements, constantly achieve over um, the difficulties and trials of life to um, grow and mature as a person and see the world for what it is. You know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Like it's, an, it's a fantastic eyes view for any reader, any storyteller, any player in any campaign, you know, things like that. Yeah, for sure. I really want to like make a nomadic tribe now in my campaign. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe maybe I just like there's no like argument to this. I just really want to make one now because <laughs> we've been talking about it for 20 <laughs> Nothing minutes. Stopping <laughs> Nothing really stopping should, you. Nothing stopping you, of course. Okay. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. I will put that on hold in my brain. Cool, cool, cool. Nice. Hey, what did you bring today? Well, my topic for this week is relatively broad, but I do want to kind of narrow it down. Um, okay. Just touch on things that we've talked about before. I've been watching a lot of stuff lately, like whether it be like uh, movies or, you know, D&D campaigns online mm-hmm. or just episodic series. Something that's really kind of stuck out to me that is kind of a very strong point of contrast between everything I'm watching uh, is the topic that I'm bringing today is technology. Uh, the level of technology hmm. specifically. Um, I don't necessarily want to talk like ray guns and portals and <laughs> okay, okay. Um, futuristic cyber cybernetic things, but kind of how a story is very much clarified, defined by its level of technology. Um, I kind of want to uh, focus in specifically today on fantasy settings, because hmm. uh, when we talk about world building storytelling, um, this is kind of a natural conclusion. Yeah. I watched, for people who know me, I'm a huge fan of Dimension 20, which is a podcast of comedians and improv improv actors from the college humor community. There are two campaigns that they're running or have run already that I've watched to completion at this point. As of the time of this, when this releases, I'll have watched <laughs> both of them into completion. Yeah. Finale releases literally tomorrow. But first series is Crown of Candy, which is kind of a medieval Game of Thrones style story. That is colored and and flavored like every character is a piece of candy or chocolate or, or kind of food or anything. Beautiful. Like that. Love that premise. <laughs> and the other series is Starstruck Odyssey, which is based on a spacefaring, ship riding, galaxy traveling group of uh, mercenaries, I suppose. <laughs> sure. And what I'm realizing, uh, the thing that separates them so much, even though the actors or players are exactly the same, is their level of technology. And that drives home a very specific thing that is what people in the story can or can't do. I think that's kind of the core concept I want to tackle here. Okay, yeah. So when you think of like technology and fantasy, I'm going to toss something to you. When you think of like technology and fantasy, mm-hmm. what's like the first thing that comes to mind? Like what? Ugh. what is classified as technology to you? I mean, th- that's an interesting that question category? in general, because mm-hmm. I immediately was like, the book press was technology once, and now it's just how we make yes, physical exactly. books, right? But the first thing that came to mind was more of the trope, I guess, if you would call it that, of like ancient technology hidden in the land, right. more as a sort of ruin that the natural world is built upon, or something that is like hidden in the history of the planet or Earth or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's quite literal, I feel. I feel the the other thing that I just said is is a more interesting question <laughs> or maybe a more interesting thing to 
develop or talk about within your fantasy setting because the ancient ancient technology while i love the trope by the way it's a very satisfying mm-hmm, mm-hmm. thing to watch <laughs> but it feels like it's separate from like daily life right it's sort of this alien thing right. that gets discovered it's it's a thing that has passed basically and the remnants of it are visible now it's like it's like you're doing history work or i don't know archaeology and modern day technology or whether cell phones exist or whether there's cool zip lines in your city right. i don't know that's cool zip lines. <laughs> this is i love zip lines i always yes. have zip lines in every city <laughs> <laughs> Two necessities to yeah. a cell highly advanced culture: cell phones and zip lines. <laughs> there we go. And if I just title this podcast, cell phones, cell phones and, zip and zip lines. Yeah, I would be pro. Yeah, it fits the brand. <laughs> but but you know, those have like direct impact on the way your characters move and behave, the mm-hmm. way a city structure works. All that's that sort of relevant stuff. That's like part of daily behavior and daily life, and the way that you traverse and move and communicate and all all that sweet stuff right the ancient thing is more like oh a history class on the history of the world i guess which is cool but in a different way and i think the other yeah. the other thing is the more fascinating thing to develop and maybe implement in your world to me yeah so let's i so i really want to focus on two things you said there okay um communication and transportation hmm. so let me take those two campaigns i just talked about into perspective uh for communication right Communicating over long distances in Crown of Candy, impossible, right? <laughs> you send a courier, you send like a message by Raven or right. something like that, right? It takes a couple of days, a couple of weeks. Information by the travels. Way, quick question, yeah. like the Crown of Candy thing is basically the Game of Thrones style world, right? Yes. Sort yes. of classic Medieval fantasy. fantasy. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Right. So it takes days or weeks to send a message. So secrets are kept much longer, you know. Yeah. They're trying to organize large factions takes a good amount of time. So you have that small window. Uh, whereas in Star Trek Odyssey, spacefaring galaxy, uh, galaxy land, people have cell phones. They have email. They have like news reports over TVs and projections across planets. Right. Right. There is one character who has almost no, no combat uh, capabilities at all but and, and so in almost every fight they're on their cell phone they're communicating <laughs> with like uh factions and organizations oh. across ways they're hacking into computers that. they're that's great they're making deals mid-fight so that the opposition sways one way or another like the the conversation is so quick and so easy to organize that you can make moves from the vast vacuum of space <laughs> without anyone being next to you wow. That's pretty wild. Yeah. And on that, like transportation as well, right? Uh, in Crown of Candy, it's horseback, it's carriage, mm-hmm. it's uh, marching by troops, uh, by by water or yeah. milk in this series. Um, <laughs> there, uh, It takes a long time to travel somewhere. And thus, story takes place in this interim. In these days to weeks where you're riding this vehicle, mm-hmm. you have conversations, you have the perils of travel, right. of bandits or obstacles, things like that. Uh, in Starstruck Odyssey, they have faster than light. They can move at light speed from one galaxy to the next. Mm. It's instant or almost instant to the point that a conversation as long as maybe a minute, 10 minutes is all you need to jump millions upon millions of miles. So it's not about the travel anymore as much as much as it is the destinations you can reach, which is vast and plentiful and incredibly detailed because that's where the story has to take place Mm. now that travel has been eliminated due to the advancements of technology does that make sense yeah yeah for sure and it immediately triggers my 
DM stress brain where I'm like, wait, but if there's no travel, then you have to like be instantly ready for any place that they want to visit like within one second and you don't have like a week to be like, okay, it takes a bit of time. Guess I'll see you next week. (laughs) Okay. That that terrifies me, but it's very cool. I don't know if I would be able to (laughs) do it. And that's exactly like what I want to lean into. Oh, okay. So a lot of a lot of reasons why D and D sits in uh, rests easily into medieval fantasy is not just because of preference, but because it's easy to run. Uh, uh, if you don't have to worry about cell phones, you don't have to worry about cars, you don't have to worry often about guns. Yeah, there is a complexity that is entirely removed from the equation, and you can kind of narrow it down and say, like, well, it's going to take you a week to get from this town to the next. Uh, what do you want to do in the meanwhile? And like, I guess we'll just like read or travel together <laughs> or like yeah. kill some things on the road. It simplifies the scope of what the characters can achieve. And hmm. and that's like again, another point yeah, I want to bring up. Technology directly affects the capabilities of ordinary people. I think that's kind of the, the cornerstone of the conversation hmm. here. What you are able to do, barring any sort of magic or things like that, is directly related to how much technology is at your disposal. Otherwise, you're limited to you know human potential and human limits and things like that. But uh, introducing things like cell phones, guns, cars, planes, things like that, allow people to do much greater things than they'd normally be able to do, expanding the scope of possibility, which makes the story details or levels more complex should you choose to introduce it into your setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really love that idea. And also, I think it's interesting in general, as sort of the the world builder or the one that makes the decision whether or not mm-hmm. you want to, you know, implement cell phones or light speed travel or any of that stuff. I think the interesting question also lies in whether or not you want your characters to be part of the development or if they just want to live in the development. Right. There's yes. a difference between the fact that light speed travel is just there and nobody knows how it works, but it's just there. I don't know how my microwave right. works, but I just use it all the time. Right. that that kind of idea versus Mm -hmm. the other idea where you're like let's say in the legend of korra where asami Mm -hmm. spoilers i guess uh, asami's dad has like i guess a sort of technology company where he builds the first cars and has like a sort of electric glove kind of weapon that never existed before and it spirals this whole world into a new era of technological developments and gives as you were saying like capabilities to quote-unquote regular people that are not able to bend or have like the sort of natural elemental powers, but whether or not somebody can use that glove or whether or not they're part of the development or the intrigue or the the spectacle of the whole storyline with Asami's dad Mm -hmm. can or cannot have influence on your character. And both are interesting ways to go because the casualness of something that's actually really cool, like lightspeed travel, and then just use it casually as if you've been living this lifestyle all, all your life is a very cool uh-huh. thing. But also, if you're part of that development or if you're one of the pioneering people, right. is a whole different kind of cool. And they're both super fascinating. And I think that's pretty nice. And the second thing it reminded yeah. me of is a video that I saw a while ago from Ariel Bassett. She's one of my favorite YouTubers. But in the past, she used to be very book related. So she was a booktuber. Mm -hmm. And she once made a video where she sort of shared her frustration about the fact that in books, cell phones are very not present at all in general. (laughs) Yes. It's maybe different now. This video is, I guess, a good few years old. So it might be different now. But that was really 
even though we had phones and internet and, you know, all that stuff, email, it was never there in books somehow because it's just a hard Mm -hmm. thing to deal with as a writer. But also because if it's not there, and this is what her frustration was about, she was like, if you don't represent this, then this is not relatable to us if it's a modern story. And also, right, right. There's this whole idea of, oh, if I implement technology in this, I sort of date my story. If I have cell phones that are like, what's that called in English? Like the sort of snapping cell phones that you have to sort of open up, right? The, cla- the old ones. Uh, flip phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there we go. If you use flip phones in your story, everybody knows this is like 2000s or I don't know, 2005 right. that this story takes place in. If you want it to have a sort of broad appeal, there was this idea that you shouldn't really do that because then it dates your story. And she was like, no, I love that because I love aesthetics that have a certain time period. I also love reading about like 1800s Victorian whatever. And I'm not bothered by the fact that they all wear dresses and I never wear a dress in my life. So that's also maybe a little bit of a side note, but something to think about if you're writing things that you want to relate to or that you want to sort of pull out of our life as well. And it also depends how you put that in your story, whether or not it is relatable or whether you want to date your story or not. Yeah, I think uh, for me, when I watched Starstruck Odyssey, it was one of my first insights into what it looks like to run a futuristic campaign. Oh, yeah. Because there are a lot of things you have to consider that are now available for people to do. Uh, Like so many, (laughs) gosh, so many rom-coms are based on the foundation of misunderstanding, you know, (laughs) that's so (laughs) like you're not able to properly communicate. And boy, is that like the most frustrating thing for me. I'm like, it's so frustrating, right? They just talk. There's this one issue. Yeah. And then the whole movie's based about it. And I was like, if you just had walked in like one second earlier, this whole this whole issue wouldn't exist. And I can do something else with this time that I'm watching this movie. (laughs) Yeah. So when you're factoring in the level of communication people have, right, that's very, very important. Right. Uh, And and I I totally understand if you sit in, if you try to make a setting that's like halfway through the technology we have now and like the no technology era. Um, you are correlating your fictional story to a real point in time. And if you do it incorrectly or don't match up what technology is available at a certain mm. era, then it leads to like an anachronistic situation. You know, yeah. things seem out of place or out of time and disconnect from how how real the story feels. Sure. You know, yeah. which is very hard to do. And that's why I only do medieval fantasy <laughs> because it's so easy when nobody has cars or phones. I was going to I was going to ask, uh, actually, like... <laughs> Are there certain things from this sci-fi campaign or like the technology campaign Mm -hmm. that you were like, hmm, even though it's hard, I do really love the way this works and I would never be able to do it in my medieval fantasy? Yes. So, yeah, absolutely. There is. And and this this is going to be a pretty short tangent, I hope. Uh, But you never know, really. Um, One of the prevailing things or ideas or motifs of Starstruck Odyssey is that the world is chaos. If you live in Mm. space... There's an ever-expanding, limitless number of places you can be. Okay. Possibilities are truly infinite. You're not limited by water. You're not limited by walls or mountains. You can go anywhere, right? And th- not that's a little bit intimidating as someone who's a storyteller. But at the same time, it's also liberating because you realize that when you have all of this space, your players can no longer rely on it being predictable or safe. You know, there oh, okay. are yeah. there is inherent dangers to traveling very, very far into the unknown. And the DM is no longer kind of responsible for coddling the players and being like, OK, 
well, this is too much. Oh. Uh, don't go here kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. It's at their own risk. They're going that far. <laughs> so there's kind of a, a collective collaborative onus to be very, very careful where you go. And also that in a truly limitless setting, anything is possible. There's, there's like you can come up with anything you want and it, <laughs> it could probably, probably exist, exist yeah. because, because it's infinite. Love it's that. an expansive That's thing. That's very true. Yeah. While, while also very daunting, it's very freeing. There's kind of a balance there and it's just done so, so, so mm. well. Um, to the merit of the Dungeon Master, Brendan Lee Mulligan, he's, a, he's really, really smart and very, very creative. And yeah, so cool. What he's done is not something that anyone can do easily, but it's proof that it can't be done. So. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. And I guess hopefully the final tangent that I wanted to do here, um, which touched on what you discussed before, uh, specifically in Legend of Korra, is kind of the crossover, like ley line connection hmm. of technology and magic, yeah. right? Um, so bending is basically the equivalent to magic. Uh, only some people can do it. It's an extraordinary power um, and kind of elevates certain people higher than others mm. in the fantasy, fantasy setting that it exists in. So when you suddenly give ordinary people access to technology and allow them to reach the same steps or same abilities as magical people, you see that sort of shift in dynamic. Uh, one of the hugest uh, uh, motifs or themes in Korra is the underlying conflict between benders and non-benders. Um, like who deserves to be an authority, mm -hmm. who deserves yeah. to be at the top, you know, and kind of realizing that all people are equal when given equal opportunity, or regardless of when they're given equal opportunity, all people should be equal, yeah. equal which is a fantastic dynamic that plays up in fantasy settings when um, the people who have sending no longer need to have sending when they can use cell phones. Right? <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. And people who <laughs> and people who have who can like run really fast are no longer super powerful because people have cars now. Mm -hmm. You know, as you said, like ancient artifacts, as people catch up to magic with technology, that meeting point is always, always so, so, so interesting to read. Or just listen to. Yeah, for sure. And even to even bring it maybe further, I also was thinking as you were talking, sure. what is even magic in general? A lot of the times magic is represented in a sort of wizard school type of way. Mm -hmm. Not always, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of wizard schools out there <laughs> in which, you know, you have to read books and you have to understand the physics of magic. You have to sort of get it in your muscle memory. You have to, this is like a very realistic kind of depiction of learning a skill or a craft of sorts. And in our world, I guess technology or, you know, understanding physics or chemistry is not mm -hmm. super different from that. So I wonder, like, why do we call the one thing magic and the other thing technology? And even in Korra, like, imagine if we would just call the sort of electric glove kind of thing. What if we would just call that electric magic or just also magic, one of the right. avant-garde type of bendings? <laughs> What's the difference, really? So I think that's also a very nice question to ask yourself every now and then, if you're of sort of pick and choosing this balance of technology and magic in a world, uh, yeah, world building setting that you're making. I think there's constantly the line of magic where uh, magic is what cannot be contained or explained, right? Mm. There's like a... Like the mysticism a little, like kind a, of aspect to it. The mysticism sure. behind yeah. it, right? And harnessing it is a form of technology, uh, as we've seen in like series I mean, yeah. like Arcane. Oh, yeah. Where they, where they tried to contain yeah. this limitless magic into a small hex core and like the dangers of doing something like that. Yeah. Uh, the crossover of magic and technology, always so interesting. Yeah, and also when it corrupts, then suddenly it becomes this mystical thing because you don't understand mm -hmm. how it works anymore or, or it works against the way that you're used to it working. Yeah, 
Exactly. Really nice. Yeah. A, a, a topic that reaches and teaches and can probably be done a couple <laughs> of times. This is just one of many. Can be put on if the you revisit wanted, uh, list. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. If you'd like to learn more, you can look at our podcast episodes, uh, Magic and Corruption mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yep>. and uh, <laughs> How to Build a Setting. I think that's episode two. Yeah, we're, we're building like a little thesaurus here. Um, not a thesaurus, like a dictionary of encyclopedia. <laughs> we have like a topics. good archive going on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's lo- looking real good. Uh, I love that we can yeah, reference a, our own episodes now. That's like next <laughs> yeah. level. If you look at episode 12, I mean, we talked about this. <laughs> I love that. All right. All right. Guess we're going on to our final thing, which is a prompt, I believe. Yes, that's true. I have a very random one today. I will do the prompt Fire this week, away. I believe. This is very much not my own idea. Uh, I recently, for no reason at all, had to think of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by uh, Roald Dahl. Yes, okay. I don't know what triggered this, but I had like a super specific memory about that scene where Charlie spends money to buy a a chocolate bar to hopefully find a ticket and he doesn't find one. And then there's this beautiful paragraph or like chapter or something where just Roald Dahl is describing how this golden ticket craze is going on in the world. And he's like, everybody bought up chocolate. And there was this one Mm -hmm. woman in Russia who claimed that she found the last one, but then it turned out to be a fake. And then she got canceled, basically. (laughs) And all this craziness in the world was sort of described by Roald Dahl in sort of explaining Mm -hmm. how much people wanted to find this. I think it was also the last one of the five of the five golden tickets. So inspired by that random scene that popped up in my brain (laughs) Mm -hmm. why don't we try to make uh or design uh, a product that the world will go crazy about and i'm curious what that is it can be anything yeah before we go into that um tangent um (laughs) willy wonka definitely chose who got those tickets let's be real here four tickets spread all five tickets spread all across the world and four of them are found in london impossible oh impossible okay do you have theories on this like are you no, I don't, I don't want to go into it. I don't want to go into <laughs> you it. You brought this I'm up, saying, Mr. Um, it was planned. Absolutely planned. Anyway, <laughs> things that the world will go crazy over, like our current era, like today, 2022. Sure. Our Lord, 2022. Or if you prefer another time, that's also fine. No, this is fine. Um, I just want to huh. sought after so what, product. What do people want? I mean, are we thinking like things that have already been thought up of? Or are we trying to just go straight like off the wall? something truly I just want the world wild. to go into craziness for this one product that no one ever would think would become so popular <laughs> maybe because it's rare oh, it's like, or because it's yeah you know like super tasty or because it's I don't know oh, go crazy now I'm thinking of Willy Wonka stuff uh <laughs> the what is everlasting gobstopper would be so so good Oh, what's that one again? Is, Most, it, is this like the chewing gum? No. It's a bank. Yeah, it's a banquet and a chewing oh, gum. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, eat, right. you eat a whole meal from Love chewing that. gum. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, are we thinking like convenience or fun? Because I think that's the like something that improves our lives or something that is just entertaining. Hmm. I like it when it's like super useless. <laughs> super useless. I have to think of like the fidget okay. spinner rage suddenly like that was one of the things oh gosh okay they were thinking like okay like rubik's cubes and stuff like that like just really silly things oh gosh okay so let's just start laying groundwork so we can um so we can build up what we want this to be um just like random ideas okay for me there's gotta be some sort of light some some lights involved i think some lights like really entertaining like flashy like disco um, ball dramatic yeah 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 for me I think 
that's something that would be wild. This is just kind of spitballing and it doesn't have to be the final mm-hmm, concept, mm-hmm. but like these things that you wear or like <laughs> even worse, like implant. That might have not, people might be crazy. Getting about that. back Probably into the wear, sci-fi wear. vibe. Put, yeah, yeah, yeah. I put, like it. Put it put it into your ears. Put it into your ears. <laughs> okay. You play a song. Yeah. And your body lights up depending on like what it plays. Whoa. Like you see, like in your in your arms, on your legs, on your face, you there's like <laughs> graphics, like things that appear. Ooh, that's fucking wild. Okay. I love that. That's instantly also a status symbol then. If you listen to yeah. a specific type of music, then you will mm-hmm. look a certain way. And I think, yeah. So if you listen to, I don't know, John Mayer and your arm turns red, then everyone with a red arm will be like, haha, I got see what you did there. Love your vibe. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking like we do this like tattoo style, right? Um, that you can even like just play something persistently, very softly. And you have this kind of shifting tattoo mm. that exists on your skin. Okay. Okay. Uh, and you can like just wear it through daily life. It doesn't have to be like, actually doesn't have to be attached to music. Screw it. It could just be like a tattoo that you can shape to look like whatever you want. Uh, and you see like all these celebrities with very dramatic tra- tattoos, mm. you know, like they're highly committed to the aesthetic. Sure. And they like, there's like, a, there's like a shimmer to them, a shine, a movement, you know. So is there a lighting mm-hmm. up element then if it's not connected to music or is it just sort of perpetually lighting up? I think you could, I think you can inject like glow, glowiness to <laughs> oh, it. Oh God. Like you can, you can, there's like a luminescence you can add to it. Um, and you can mm-hmm, even like, mm-hmm. if you wave your hands, things will appear in the air as an after image when you do it. Oh, that's cool. Kind of like, like, like the firework show. thing that you, where you can write in the sky. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Yeah. 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 And obviously this is like, so we need, we need widespread appeal, right? we need this to be popular to everybody. Yeah. So no injections, nothing, <laughs> nothing implanted. Nothing that people might hate. Nothing, yeah. Nothing that people will attribute to the CIA. Um, I'm thinking... <laughs> I'm thinking maybe like a wristwatch or a bracelet, mm. something very unintrusive, right? Once you wear it, there's like an echo that pulses across your body and it like looks very, very cool. And you can kind of program it. It's like a smartwatch, right? You go onto your computer, type up what kind of tattoo you want right. and suddenly okay. it appears on your body. Okay. This is probably like a pretty expensive thing because it's like fancy yes, and nobody yes. has seen this before, I guess. So this feels like there it's, would be so like- So it's a symbol of wealth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, that's one side. And then the other side is that because it's a symbol of wealth and not everyone is wealthy in the world, there will be like mm-hmm. so many knockoffs and maybe one right. knockoff gets particularly good, which is like why people are super, you know, seeking the actual OG one, the original, the original <laughs> product. Oh, so you can like, so you can like hijack it and like turn it into something interesting. Is that what you're talking about? Oh, that's also interesting. No, I was saying like, if this would be like a smartwatch kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. An Apple made smartwatch. An Apple is super sure. rare and expensive, and barely anyone has the real one. Mm-hmm. You know, the demand would be so big. There would be like a shit right. ton of knockoffs on the market that are like looking like it, kind of work like it, but then die after two months. Yeah. I don't know. Malfunction. Yeah, exactly. They're just sort of health. the shittier brother of, <laughs> of this product. And because there's right. so many, and because the demand gets so big, and maybe the knockoffs get really good at it. People mm-hmm. buy them all the time. They have a lot of, you know, investors' money. I don't know. Right. The real one or the original one is getting even higher in value and, you know, that people right. want it. Now, here's an interesting idea from like, uh, I used to be involved in a modding community for a video game. Oh, okay. Sometimes to pull off like a hack or a mod, you need the older or oldest edition of a hardware product mm. because it's the most exploitable or the most like easy to boot into. 
and like change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the security is like so, least good. Yeah, like as this becomes more popular, right. obviously they tighten up security and stuff like mm-hmm. that because other people who develop it have that proprietary ownership. Right. Um, but if you get a really, really old version, it's easier to hack and you can get all the really, really cool things that people have developed <laughs> that are not possible with the official version, right. you know? So there's kind of a contraband as- aspect to it. There's kind of okay, like Okay, there's an underground like a, modding a community to this one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For sure. Right, right, right. And I think that could be super sick. And it's a way to express creativity. Like if you're a designer, you can design very specific tattoos that look a very certain way. Like, oh, like that's a that's got to be like a Castana de- uh, design or that's got to be like a Medvedi <laughs> oh, kind right. of um, yeah. aesthetic. You it's know? not just the product, but this is like a designer tool now where people can just exactly. buy Dolce & Gabbana tattoos and be like super exactly. fancy about right, it. Right, and right own the design or which is a whole different situation because then we get like into what open source is if that's still a thing or if we just yeah. are like hijacking like, code now if if that's the underground scene we're talking about <laughs> like imagine this in like high schools right kids would go crazy over this <laughs> yeah kind of thing, for sure where they could they could wear their own design just like twist of a twist of a watch and just something just flashes over them and like schools would have to decide what kind of designs are okay for school oh, yeah. and what aren't. Oh, I love right? that. Oh, now they have and to like, like have during opinions like football games, football games, everybody distributes like a QR code and everybody wears the same yeah, tattoo like immediately. How sick would for it? sure? This is Come definitely on. like Come on. the sneakers that you have with like the lights in them, and then you have to like stamp the ground <laughs> and then they light up. Do you know these ones? <laughs> this is so a couple stupid. levels above glow- light up sneakers. Yeah, this is like yes, yes, next exactly. level light up sneaker shit. Yeah. That's true. This is like Healy's to the max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. That sounds sick. I'm going with that. Interesting. Let's do that. I like it. Right. This is this is very specific already. I'm very fond <laughs> of it. I think there's a difference in mindset <laughs> in utility versus like virality. Like how popular this thing is. Oh. It's not necessarily based on how useful it is, <laughs> but how accessible how no. <laughs> ex- and how people can express themselves through mm-hmm. it. Yeah, know? for sure. Definitely the products that are most fun to go viral are the most useless ones. Because <laughs> then you're like, why is this a thing? Oh, I guess everybody loves it. Okay, then. Guess we're going with this for That's no true. reason in particular. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Now that we've concluded a podcast with a quick lesson on capitalism. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. That's what we're here for. Uh, Tune in to get your daily you know capitalism dose. Listen, even economy and uh, all this stuff that we're talking about is still relevant to world building and storytelling, <laughs> uh, which is the focus of our podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, we're on it brand, is. still on brand. Yeah. Thank you guys for <laughs> tuning in to this episode. This is, again, a fun one. I uh, hope you're stepping away with this with a little more insight or knowledge or inspiration to build your own worlds and tell your own stories. Yeah, build your own light of But of kids. course, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but of course, as we always say, remember, your rivers are wrong. Yeah. They're pretty wrong. They're still wrong. (laughs) Still wrong. Have a good one. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Your Rivers Are Wrong. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes that you'd like to hear us cover, feel free to contact us at yourriversarewrong at gmail.com. Our intro and outro music is written by Maarten Schellekens. Thanks for that. And again, thank you so much for listening. We hope to see you at the next one.